A couple of Mishnahs ago, the Mishnah taught which questions were asked to the witnesses who came to testify about the Rosh Chodesh moon which they saw. And there were lots of technical questions about how exactly the moon was positioned, in which, in which direction, where it was facing, how high it was, how wide it was. And in order to make it simpler, Rami Gamliel had white shapes and forms which looked like the moon, but tavla on a sort of board, a tablet, which was on the wall in his attic. That's where he would sit with his basin in Yavne to discuss things and to bring in the witnesses there to interrogate them. Yavne is the place where the basin was after they left the Beis Hamikdash, a number of years before Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Shebohen Marisadjotos, that with those shapes of the moon, they would show the simple people, who didn't necessarily understand all of the questions and how to answer them and explain them. So the Omer, he would say to them, Did you see the moon like this, or like this? Like this picture was in this direction, and he would move about the diagrams, the forms of the moon. Instead of asking them the questions straight out, he'd do it like this, which would make it much easier. Maisa, there was a story which once happened, Shebo Shanayim. Two witnesses came, the Omran, they said to the Beistin, Yeinuhu, Shachris Bamizrach. We saw it in the morning, just as the sun was rising, we saw the moon in the east side, the Arvis, and in the evening, as the sun was setting, Bamarov, we saw the moon in the west, with, together with the sun. Omrabirch Manuri. Rabirch Manuri said, Eidishekerheim, they are false witnesses. Close to the time that the Rosh moon is seen, it generally is pretty much totally invisible before that. So it couldn't have been that that morning they saw the moon and then again the Rosh Chodesh moon was seen at night. Now by the way it happens to be that this story is a support for what we learnt earlier on in the Masechta at the beginning of this Perek that if the beast in, in the, if the Sanhedrin which would declare Rosh Chodesh did not recognize the witnesses then they would go to a local based in first who would send witnesses with them to testify that they are trusted. So that would be why they went to Rabbi Yochum ben Nuri's based in first and only then they went to Yavne which is where the based in was at the time. Kshaboli Yavne when they arrived at Yavne Kilo Rabbi Gamliel Rabbi Gamliel did accept them because Rabbi Gamliel worked out according to the astronomy the Rosh Chodesh very much could have been that night, and that the Rosh Chodesh moon was in the sky that night, and so they assumed that that which they saw in the morning was a mistake. Perhaps it was clouds and they thought it was the moon, but he did accept the second part of their testimony, that they saw the Rosh Chodesh moon at night, of course after interrogating them. That was story number one, and there was another similar story where two people came, two witnesses, and they told Rabbi Gamliel, they said, we saw it in its correct time, meaning we saw it on the night of the 30th day, such that if Rosh Chodesh would be that day, so the previous month would only have 29 days. Then they came back to based in the next day, the Uvalele Burai, that refers to the second night, which would be the 31st night, which of course would be the first day of the next month, Lonira, they came back and said that they didn't see the moon. Even though there weren't any clouds or anything blocking the moon, it wasn't seen that night. Now it's impossible that the Rosh Chodesh moon was seen one night, and the next night, it disappeared. If indeed it was the Rosh Chodesh moon, then it should really be getting bigger the next day. So of course it would be able to be seen. Nevertheless, for Kim and Gamliel, and Gamliel still accepted those witnesses. Again, because based on his own astronomical calculations, he worked out that it could be, and indeed it was Rosh Chodesh that day. He was sort of waiting for witnesses to come. But he had calculated that the Rosh Chodesh moon was seen on that first night. 
And again, he blamed the fact that they didn't see anything on the second night, on the moon being blocked by clouds, or for whatever other reason. Of course, it's impossible that it, would, that it was not seen in the sky, and since, according to his own calculations, their first testimony was correct, he assumed that the moon remained there on the second night, and it was just blocked by something else. However, said, they are false witnesses. How can one give testimony about a woman who gave birth, Ulamachar, and the next day, Kareisman Shineha, which literally means her stomach is between her teeth, meaning she's still pregnant. If a woman gave birth today, then she's not pregnant the next day. So how could you say that the moon was seen now and it was considered to be Yoshchodesh today, and the next day the moon disappeared again? The moon should be getting bigger. And indeed, Omar Rabbi Yeshua said to Bidusman Akinas, I see your words, I agree with you. And Rabbi Yeshua accepted the decision of Rabbi Akinas, even though Rabbi Yeshua was the Rosh based in, he was the deputy head of the Sanhedrin, and Amin Gamliel was the head, the Nasi. Rabbi Yeshua argued on the decision of the head of the base in Amin Gamliel, and according to Rabbi Yeshua, the previous month was a 30-day month, and the Rosh Chodesh was the next day, whereas according to Rabbi Gamliel, the previous month was only th- 29 days, and the next day, which would have been the 30th day, was Rosh Chodesh of the next month. Mr. Test, Shalach Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Gamliel sent a message to Rabbi Yeshua, and the Yerushalmi explains that he sent Rabbi Akiva to tell the following to Rabbi Yeshua, Gizrani Olecha. I am decreeing upon you, Shetovay Etzli, that you should come to me, Bemakelcha with your stick, Uvamoisecha, and with your money, Bemakipurim, on your kippur, Shecholios, Becheshbeinach, that falls according to your calculation. But now that we have two dates, it comes out that even your kippur will end up being a day apart. So I am decreeing upon you to show publicly that you agree with me, and so you will violate your kippur by carrying a stick and money. Rabbi Gamliel saw the potential danger of having these two leaders of Klal Yisrael arguing about such a significant point as to when Yom Kippur would be, and he was afraid that this would cause great disunity in the nation, and so he saw it necessary to make sure that they would come to an agreement here, and since he was the Nasi, he was the head of the Sanhedrin, Rabbi Yeshua would have to agree with him. Or even if he would disagree, he would have to accept that the halacha would be like Rabbi Gamliel. Now, understandably, Rabbi Yeshua was terribly distressed that he would have to violate Yom Kippur, which was Yom Kippur according to his Yom Kippur. And Holach Rabbi Akiva Meitzar, Rabbi Akiva, who was Rabbi Gamliel's messenger, went and found Rabbi Yeshua very upset after he told them this. Oh my lord! But Rabbi Akiva told Rabbi Yeshua, "Yeshli Lilmaid, I have an important thing to teach you, and that is Shekolash Osar Rabbi Gamliel Osoi. That everything which Rabbi Gamliel did is considered done and valid." Shenema, as the Pesuk says, Elam Adai Hashem Kodesh. These are the Yom Tovim, the significant days which you shall declare as being holy. Asher Tikru Oisam which you should declare. And as we have mentioned previously, a sum over here is written without a vov, and so it could be read as atem, which would be unnecessary because asher tikru by itself means that you should declare, and atem means you. But the posuk would therefore be emphasizing that the decision is totally based on you. Even whether it's at the correct time or even if it's at the wrong time, if the based in the Sanhedrin accepted the witnesses mistakenly, I, Hashem, do not have these fixed times in the Yom Tovim except for these. The Yom Tovim are calculated according to how you decide based in. Even if technically, according to the astronomy, it's incorrect, 
Once you have accepted the witness's testimony and you have declared it to be Rishchidesh, that is what makes it Rishchidesh. Even if astronomically it's incorrect. So after this, Bolo Yeshua went to Bidesmanakinas, who had originally argued against Rabban Gamliel, and Omar Loi Bidesmanakinas told Rabbi Yeshua as well that he should follow Rabban Gamliel, because in Bolo Onu Lodun Achar Beisinish Rabban Gamliel, if we are coming to judge and doubt, the ruling of Rabban Gamliel's based in, then Then we need to judge and doubt every based in which has stood since the times of Moshe until now. Who said that every single Rosh Chodesh which the Sanhedrin has accepted since the times of Moshe was correct? Perhaps that, would all, that was also wrong, which means that our decision now is also wrong, and every decision of theirs, perhaps it's not correct, but that is clearly not the case. Shanem, as the Apostle says, Vayal Moshe Vihu. Moshe and Aaron and two of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, they went up the Shiva Mazigna Israel and seventy members of the righteous elders of the Jews. This is referring to the seventy members of the Sanhedrin, and asked the mission of Why were the names of those elders of the Sanhedrin not stated explicitly? Just like Moshe's name and Aaron's name, etc. Elalamid, rather, it comes to teach us Yisrael, that every basin, even of just three members, which stands upon the Jewish people and who are appointed as the basin, Harei Huk Beistinishal Moshe, it is considered to be like the basin of Moshe Rabbeinu. The fact that their names were not stated implies that they were not necessarily as great as Moshe and Aaron, or not of Avihu. But nevertheless, they, sh- they were still listened to. And so every single based in, even though perhaps they're not on the level of Moshe and Aaron, but nevertheless, they're still considered to be the leaders of Kal Yisrael, and their decisions must be listened to. So when Rabbi Yeshua heard these two messages from Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yisrael Akinas, he accepted the message, not on Maklom he took a stick and his money in his hands, the Holach Yavne Yitzhar Rabban Gamliel, and he went to Yavne towards Rabban Gamliel, B'yom Shechol Yom Akpronis on the day that, according to his calculation, fell Yom Kippur. He showed that he totally accepted the decision of Rabban Gamliel, and he was going with his Yom Kippur. Omar Rabban Gamliel, on Shlokal Reishoi, Rabban Gamliel stood up, and he kissed Yom Yeshua on his head, on my and he told him, B'y V'sholoim, come in peace, Rebbe V'salmidi, my teacher and my student, Rebbe V'chachma, my teacher in wisdom, meaning it could be that you could have been correct according to the astronomy. However, you realize you had that character trait of being the Talmidi. My student, Shekibaltes Tavorai, that you accepted my words, you understood that it, this is totally necessary to maintain the unity in Klai Israel, and so for that you are considered to be my teacher and my student. This mission is really the last mission of the Masechta which discusses Kiddush HaChodesh. After that, the last two prokim mainly focus on the day of Rosh Hashanah itself. And really, this Mishnah's theme is a continuation of the previous parak where we see the power of the Beistin. And the halacha is that even once the testimony of the witnesses has been accepted, the only way for the day to actually become Rosh Chodesh is if the Beistin declare Makudosh Makudosh, as we learnt earlier on in the previous parak. They have to declare that day to be sanctified as Rosh Chodesh. Which means that even if Ra'uhu Beistin Vachol Yisrael, if the Beistin and all of the Jewish people, or even a large amount of the Jewish people, see the Rosh Chodesh moon, on, let's say, the night of the 30th. So they've seen that that month should really be 29 days, and that day should now be Rosh Chodesh. 
Or in a different case, Nechku Ha'edim, if the witnesses were interrogated and they were found to be true valid witnesses, and the basin accepted their testimony, but in either of these two cases, the basin did not manage to say Makudosh, that the day is sanctified until it got dark, and it was now the 31st day, which would be, of course, the first day of the next month, at least. Haizem Ubar, it is considered to be a Chidesh Ubar, a 30 day month, and Rosh Chidesh is on the second day, even though everybody saw the Rosh Chidesh moon. The mission is showing very clearly that the thing which makes it into Rosh Chidesh is the declaration of the Basin. And as we learned in the previous parak, this is learnt from Pasukim. Now, what happens if Ra'uhu Basin Bilvad? If only the Basin, referring to the Sanhedrin, the large Basin, who would declare the Rosh Chidesh, if only they saw it. And nobody else. Two of the members of Sanhedrin should stand up and testify in front of the other members of Sanhedrin. And then they would go through the procedure of Yomru. And those who were sitting on the basin would say, Makudush, Makudush, it is sanctified, it is sanctified. As we learned about that process earlier on in the Masechta. The Gemara explains that this is only in a case where the basin saw the moon at night. Because in general, we have a concept known as Loite Shemir Gdolomir that the based in hearing testimony is certainly no greater evidence than the based in seeing the thing itself and witnessing the thing itself. And so if the Bastin saw the event, or in this case, if they saw the moon, so that itself is considered to be as if they just heard something from witnesses. However, at night, it's forbidden to accept testimony, at least for Kinshachodesh. It has to be done during the day. And so if the time that they saw the moon was at night, we cannot judge that as if they heard testimony from witnesses. And so in that case, says the Mishnah, they have to go through the whole process of two of the members of the Bastin being witnesses, and they have to hear the whole testimony again. However, if the Bastin did see the moon during the daytime, for example, at the beginning of sunrise, so then since that time is fitting to accept and hear testimony from witnesses, so we view the seeing of the Bastin as the witness and the testimony itself, and they will not even need to testify again, rather all they need to do is just declare Makudush Makudush that the day is sanctified. Now what happens if Ra'uhu Shaloshavahin Bastin, if only three members of the Bastin of the Sanhedrin saw the Rosh moon? So again, if they saw it during the daytime, then there is no need to give testimony at all. And those three members of the Sanhedrin, since they know that the moon was seen, so that seeing of theirs is viewed as having accepted testimony from witnesses, and those three members of the Bastin would be able to declare that day Rosh However, if they saw it at night, so then the Sanhedrin still do need to hear testimony. So only two of these three people are needed to give testimony. So Yandra Shanayim, two of them should get up to testify. But they can't testify in front of this this single member of the Bastin. At least three members of Bastin are needed for judging a case of Kiddush HaKodesh. And therefore, they should sit two other members of the Sanhedrin next to this individual who was another witness. We are Idu and the two other witnesses will testify in front of these three judges. And then, then after they have testified, then those three members of the Bastin would declare Makudush Makudush. Explains the Mishnah, since an individual is not trusted by himself, even though there are very few cases where even an individual could judge a case, or perhaps the continuation of a case, from a fact that Hashem commanded Moshe and Aaron together about Kiddush HaKodesh, we learn that Moshe Rabbeinu was not enough. 
that Hashem had to speak to at least two people. And since a base din can never be an even number, it always has to be an odd number. So we add one, and that is where we get the minimum of three judges who are needed to judge a case of Kiddush HaChodesh. Mishnah Beats, from this point onwards, the focus of the Masechta shifts to the day of Rosh Hashanah itself. And the main discussion is centered around the main mitzvah of the day, which is the blowing of the shofar. Now the truth is the Torah does not explicitly say that a shofar needs to be blown on Rosh Hashanah. It just says that Yom Teruah Yelochem, that it should be a day of blowing for you. However, we learn from other Pesukim, which do talk about a shofar explicitly, that on Rosh Hashanah as well, the mitzvah of blowing must be done with a shofar. The question is, what is considered to be a shofar? Kol HaShofar is all animal horns which are called a shofar are valid to be used as a shofar of Rosh Hashanah. Chutz Mishal Pora, except for the horn of a cow, because the Pasuk calls it a Keren and not a Shofar. Although perhaps we would have called it a Shofar, since the word Shofar comes from the word Shofaferes, which refers to something which is hollow, and the horn of a cow is also hollow. Nevertheless, since the Pasuk specifically calls it a Keren, we learn from there that the Torah does not consider it to be a Shofar valid for Rosh Hashanah. But surely all, all shofaris are also called a keren, as the Pesach says, When they continue the blowing of the ram's keren, referring to the ram's horns, so we see that the fact that it's called a keren is not a contradiction to the fact that it's also a shofar. In fact, that Pesach ends off, When you hear the voice of the shofar, so we see that it's called both a shofar and a keren, so the horns of a cow should also be valid. The Gemara explains that the Chachomim replied to Rabbi Yossi that when it comes to the horn of a cow, it's only called a keren and not a shofar. Whereas a ram's horns are called a keren and a shofar, and that's why they can be used on Rosh Hashanah.